Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 136. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hey there, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have with us a gentleman, a young gentleman from Rhode Island who has kind of a different career path and some different advice for us for in the way of real estate investing. So I'm so excited to have him bring his knowledge and expertise and all his success to share with you guys today. So with that, welcome to the show, Jimmy Murray. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. And hopefully I can share some great golden nuggets with your listeners. Oh, I know you will. I'm excited. Well, why don't you start by giving our listeners kind of your backstory and background? Absolutely. So I always knew that I wanted to do something related to real estate investment. Um, I would say as early as probably like junior high. Uh, so I had a sixth grade teacher that had us write a letter to ourselves from when we graduated high school. And the second question in that letter was, have you bought any real estate yet? Um, so I had him as a senior in high school. Um, but I thought that that was pretty cool that in sixth grade, I was thinking about these things. That's so, awesome. I love that. Fast forward. I went to school for finance. I graduated with a degree from, uh, if you're a Monday night football fan, the Ohio State University. So huge football school. Had a lot of fun out there. And immediately when I got back home to Rhode Island, I started looking for multifamily properties, probably within three months of graduation and moving back home. I didn't realize how good the market was then. I graduated in 2010. So I legitimately remember the stock market crashing as I was sitting in my dorm room at Ohio State. And it was really crazy to watch. Um, so a couple of years after that, I'm home. I start looking for multifamily properties. It didn't work out. Put it on the back burner for about a year and a half. And then was able to purchase my first multifamily investment in November of 2012. From there, it's kind of history. Um, but I dabbled in a few different things before I found my way. I had a very good corporate job at an investment firm as a financial analyst. I didn't love it, um, but I definitely needed it to pay back my student loans. Mm -hmm. um, but from the time I bought my, bought my first four-family investment property in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, I wholesaled, worked with a private money lender, started doing some flips, um, but I really found out that I was great at talking to tired landlords. So in December of 2014, I caught a bad year-end review, was super frustrated, walked back to my cube and text my now partner at Lion Property Management, Chris. I said, hey, we're going to launch a property management company. And he said, pump the brakes, let's grab a beer first. Um, and the rest is kind of history from there. Um, so Lion Property Management is now our core business where we manage just under 700 units in the Rhode Island and Southeastern Massachusetts market. Holy moly. That is very impressive. I love it. So why don't you tell us, I love to ask my guests about like their first deal, their best deal, their worst deal. And I'll let you take it, um, you know, whichever direction you want to go. And so you can tell us about one of your first deals, but yeah, give us some of your, you know, so early experience. My first deal is my best deal. <laughs> I would buy it a hundred times over. Wow. Um, so my first property that I bought, it is still probably the ugliest building in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, in a B neighborhood, um, but it cash flows really well. And my realtor kept telling me, hey, listen, the, the listing agent is very difficult. We can't get a hold of them. And I'm like, just forget about it. But honestly, like those are the types of listing agents I love to find nowadays after I learned this the hard way the first time. 
So my realtor kept pushing and I said, you know what, it, it's ugly, just give up. And he's like, no, you need to get out here and see this building. Um, so I ended up closing on that. So I bought a four unit property in Pawtucket, Rhode Island for $140,000, which wow. is like <laughs> crazy. So for perspective, um, that building is probably worth $350,000 on the open market today. And honestly, a lot of people will ask me like, how'd you find it? I got lucky. I had a really good agent. And sometimes you have to be lucky to be good in this game. Mm-hmm. So within six months of owning that property, I had it stabilized and achieved the rent roll of right around $2,800 um, because I was living in one of the units. So I did house hack this building. Um, things on the plus side that real estate investors sometimes miss, this building had a three-car garage behind it. So I wasn't only renting out the units that I wasn't occupying, but also renting out the garage to generate an additional two to $300 a month in revenue. And that can really help out and make a difference for most investors. Awesome. So for people that aren't familiar with the term house hack, why don't you tell us what house hack means? I know it's really popular on the bigger pockets um, website and forum and podcast, but in case someone hadn't heard of it before. Absolutely. So house hacking is a strategy that you can leverage where you live in an income producing property and either offset your mortgage by the rents that you're collecting, or sometimes in my case, I got really lucky where I was actually getting paid to live there. Um, so it nice. didn't start out that way up front. Um, but I joke that I've never made a mortgage payment because my tenants have always paid my mortgage. Sweet. And I'm also a licensed realtor. And one thing I love to tell renters is you're paying the mortgage. You're either paying your own mortgage or you're paying your landlord's mortgage or someone else's mortgage. Cause I was of course want to spur them to action to purchase if they haven't. But yeah, I love it when you can have tenants pay your mortgage and you don't have any cost of living. That's super awesome. I love that. I had a tenant who figured it out pretty quickly too. So <laughs> my, my third floor tenant, I still remember him. His name was Dan. He was a great tenant. And I can remember when I got, that was the first unit that we placed a tenant in. I remember I got the application and I mean, at that time, fresh out of college, I was making roughly 50,000 a year. Um, He was making $75,000 a year and he was renting from me. (laughs) I was like, hold on, this doesn't really make sense. But he came to me at one point and he said, Jim, it's kind of crazy. I just figured out that my rent payment is pretty close to to what a mortgage payment could be on this property. Now, I didn't know what the mortgage payment was, but for the listeners, he was paying $9.50 a month. Uh My mortgage when I first purchased that property was $1,041 monthly. So that's one unit out of four. And it was basically covering the mortgage. Sweet. So how long did he stay a tenant? Did he leave pretty soon or? (laughs) So it was, uh, I would say two and a half years. He stayed for two and a half years and he actually moved out to more of a, um, more of a country area uh, onto a horse farm actually. So I thought that was pretty cool. There's like an extra single family, Um, but he was a great tenant and I appreciated how long he stayed. That's cool. Okay. So, and I have something um, I want to piggyback on since we're talking about house hacking. Um, I guess you've been known to talk about how to house hack and stay married. So what is that about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So uh, I would tell you that if you have a spouse that supports your real estate investing, that is huge. Yes. (laughs) Um, But um, my now wife was my girlfriend at the time when I bought my first house hack. And I bought it on my own, but I guess it went so well that we bought another one together. Um, but even the second one, I mean, it was, we ended up going through a $50,000 rehab using a 203K loan. Like it was a very, very complex process and not something that we had done before. And 
Um, so you got to say, what is a 203K loan for people that don't know? <laughs> I appreciate you slowing me down as I get too excited here. So a 203K loan is an FHA program, so Fannie Mae program, where you can get a mortgage and they will help you fund the rehab. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing on the 203K loan front is that if you take out or if the rehab is $35,000 or less, it is a streamlined 203K and the process is levels easier. The biggest thing when you go to get that 203K loan is you want to make sure that you work with a mortgage lender who has done this before and somewhat frequently because if they haven't, it is going to make it's going to make your life a nightmare. It's going to be very, very difficult. So work with a lender who is familiar with it and uses that program fairly frequently, and that'll help set you up for success. Yeah. Okay. So now we know what a 203K loan is. So your project involved a 203K loan, right? Yes. Um, but I would tell you that um, if I had to give marriage advice, probably not the best person to give it, but uh, communication is key. Um, so just communicate, no roles up front and hold each other accountable. And I think that's where you can have a lot of success, not only in marriage, but in business or a number of different things that you choose to do. Yeah, for sure. So who ran the rehab, you, her, or both of you? I would say that she definitely had the pro. I built the project plan and then she held me accountable. Um, okay. So I think back on the book, uh, it's called Traction or maybe it's Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickman. And okay. they talk about the visionary and the integrator relationship. Oh, She's yes. totally the integrator where I'm more of the visionary. So I need her to like keep me on track because I always have like the crazy ideas to chase. So And lots of ideas, right? <laughs> always, always. Yeah. More, more ideas than time in the day. That's me. I get that. So yep. yeah, that's really interesting. So talk to us about um, how you, it sounds like you've had some experience getting some deals with zero money out of pocket. Yeah, so this is really cool, and I think it really talks about staying power. So this year, my partner Chris and I tackled the deal where Chris had, they're actually like friends of friends, and Chris had seen them at a 4th of July party for like four or five years, and he had like really leaned on them. So it was they would always ask questions about property management and um, you know how we could help them out, but they never pulled the trigger. So they hired us for two months this year, and then they said, hey, listen, you guys are doing a great job, but we're just tired landlords. Can you buy it? So at that point, we've built a great relationship with our broker. And we told them, hey, listen, we're going to buy this via a subject to deal. So subject to is subject to existing financing. So as we're going into tackle the deal, we're telling our broker about it, who is also our real estate attorney. And he said, well, why don't you just guys just buy it with cash? <laughs> and we laughed. Um, we said, hey, listen, we don't have the cash. So we we're trying to get this essentially into this property with no money down. And he said, well, I have the funds. Um, so the purchase price was 140000 on a three family. Um, and he drove by the property, looked at the property card, and he said, hey, listen, even at the peak of the last market, it hadn't sold for more than $90,000. I don't believe it's worth two hundred, like you guys tell me, right? So at that point, so first we start out, I'm going to recap here. We think we're going to buy it subject to existing financing, right? Where we'll just have to come with some closing cost or get them caught up on their mortgage, which we found out later that they were six months behind on their mortgage. Oh, Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Step two is we go to our broker, right? And we think that he's going to fund the whole deal. Then he realizes he's not comfortable with the after repair value. So then step three, he says, hey, I'll give you guys 120000 You bring your own rehab funds, but you're going to need to bring 20000 to get it closed. Because the seller had room, um, they actually offered us a seller second 
for $20,000 and they Perfect. lived in the property. So we didn't even have to pay interest on the 20,000 because we just gave them a reduction in rent. So I know that that was really fast related to three potential strategies in terms of how you don't have to bring money to the table. So I'll recap. So subject to existing financing is a great route. Um, private funds via our broker is another great route. Or if you don't get the full funds from private or hard money, you can always go back for seller financing. Yeah. And one thing I would like um, to clarify, or you can help clarify, is when you say yeah. subject to existing financing, that means you're taking over the payments, Correct. but you're not qualifying. It's not a legal, official, recorded assumption of a loan. You're just making the payments, but the loan stays in that prior borrower's name. And I've done this a bunch. I love it. It's like yep. so great to use someone else's, someone else's credit. And if they don't need that borrowing capacity, if they're not immediately right. looking for a new loan that they need that, then great. It's a win-win situation. They unload the property and you make the payments and hopefully you get some great financing um, and you know, along the way, maybe like a 4% loan instead of getting a new loan or a hard money loan that would be at a lot higher interest rate. Right. Yeah. And now, so the big question here, and you see it come up on like the bigger pockets um, forums and, and different Facebook real estate groups that I'm part of is people ask about, you know, will a bank call the loan? So on most mortgages, when a subject to sale happens, one, hopefully the bank never finds out about it. But in most mortgages, the loan could become callable, which means it's due in full after this transfer occurs. From my experience and the experience of others that I've that I've been fortunate to call mentors, when they accomplish this subject to sale, the bank really doesn't care as long as you're paying the mortgage. So I'd say, don't be nervous about the loan becoming callable. Um, as long as you pay the mortgage, you should be in good shape. Yeah, I agree. I even had a situation where um, we went through an escrow, bought a rental property subject to an existing mortgage from Wells Fargo, big bank. Yep. And the escrow company screwed up and did something with insurance and Wells Fargo had to have known about it. It wasn't like a secret that this happened at all. They never called it due. They didn't care. You know, I mean, we made the payments all the time. Um, unfortunately, the poor seller didn't understand what was going on because we had an intermediate um, real estate broker in between us. So we never spoke to him before we closed. You know, frequently you don't speak to the other party, at least in California, you have agents and brokers in between you. And he was so mad, like months later, he's like, when are you going to pay this loan off? And I said, I'm sorry, we're not going to. You're like, so, this is how the deal Yeah, <laughs> Yes, and he right? signed all the paperwork and he was a smart, he's a psychiatrist. He's no, he's not a stupid man, but he just didn't understand. He thought I'm selling a house, so the mortgage is going away. And so I, I, you know, let that broker know that they didn't do the seller any favors, but I finally right. sold it. So it's off the books for him. So, nice. but yeah, I mean, stuff can, stuff can happen. And then another one I wanted to share with, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've bought three, I think now subject to reverse mortgages oh, where you don't really even have to make payments. But one time it took us a long time to finish rehabbing and selling the property and the bank was threatening to foreclose. So we had to bring in some private money, but that's an option too. Like you have one form of financing. Okay. We got another, you know, private investor to come in and we paid it off and you know, life goes on. So don't think just because a bank does call it due that your life is over and you're going to lose the property. Just look for another solution. Right. 
absolutely. Um, another strategy that I've heard of, but I haven't worked through, a friend of mine has worked through it as a master lease option. Yes. That's a little bit riskier. You get to make sure that you have a really good attorney with a tight contract. But essentially, a master lease option should be, um, in my opinion, on a larger property. But essentially, you'll take care of all responsibility. They won't transfer that mortgage to you pay, but you'll cut the owner a check on a monthly basis to cover all operating costs. And then you'll improve the property to a point where hopefully you can cash out, refi, and, and clear it out. But it's essentially getting into a property with the option to buy it at the end of a period of time. Yes. Yeah. And there's, I love like masterminding all this stuff. Like this gets so exciting. It just shows how many different creative ways there are to control an interest in a property, which is what options do. And um, yeah, so don't think limited, limitedly, is that a word? (laughs) But yeah, I I really like what you said though. Options. uh, Now I, now I blanked. (laughs) As you're stumbling (laughs) on limitedly. Um, Options give you the right to control a property. I think that's huge. That's yeah. And that's how, how our first deal went down. My husband got a piece of land, an option for it. Okay. And my, and the original purchase price was like 2.4 million by the end. It had gone up to like 3.5 million. We kept having extensions and raising it. We flipped it for much more. It worked out super awesome, but I mean, it's a great way that you can legally control. And, and that whole time the housing market was like going up crazy in the early 2000s. So options have their place. So definitely, you know, learn what you can about them if you're, you know, new to it. So definitely. So tell me what your rehab strategies you've leveraged to attract tenants are. Absolutely. So I think that this is really important. Not only, I would say, buying multifamilies or flipping multifamilies like we've done more so recently. So you really have to understand, I call it your farm area. So when you go out and you, you, search for a multifamily, pick an area that you're looking to buy in. Like even in the state of Rhode Island, I mean, in a kind of two mile radius, the neighborhoods can be very different and you can go from an A neighborhood to a D neighborhood in a matter of 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So really pay attention to the tenant demographic and the neighborhood that you're investing in. But I would tell you 80% of the rehab should be between um, painting and flooring and then finish with a nice clean. And that's what's going to help you attract great tenants. It's not always about putting in um, stainless steel appliances and granite countertops, you don't always have to go crazy, at least where I'm at and the experience that I have. Um, but a clean unit that is freshly painted with nice flooring goes an incredibly long way. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, people get so excited. Cleanness, which is so cheap on the grand scheme of things, definitely adds a lot of value in the eye of um, potential tenants and buyers for that matter. So yeah. So here's my rehab hack because I did this the wrong way. I bought my first investment property. I'm like, oh, painting's easy. I'll do all the painting. I went through <laughs> 40 gallons of paint on three units. And that's probably like 2,500 square feet um, of living space. I went to Home Depot and I bought the cheapest paint available. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so I would tell you, uh, go out try to go to Sherwin-Williams or buy some Benjamin Moore paints and upgrade to get that better paint. Because when that tenant moves out, hopefully one, you're painting one wall if it's like really tough. But most of the time, if you have a decent tenant, you can now wash the wall and the paint won't come off, right? So yes, definitely splurge for a higher quality paint. It's going to give you a better finished product and it's going to cause you less headaches down the road. 
Yeah, for sure. And the Mr. Clean Magic Eraser does wonders yes. for, I mean, I'll have houses I'm flipping and then there's all these new marks and on walls where stagers bump them with furniture like that. Magic Eraser is pretty awesome. You don't always have to get out the paint to touch things up. So. Absolutely. Yes. Um, have you t told us already about your 203K loan for the townhouse rehab or is that a different deal? So I can talk through that a little bit more in detail. Okay. Um, so that's a, that was my second house hack. It was okay. a four unit in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Um, okay. So I upgraded to an A neighborhood. So for perspective, there are 39 cities and towns in Rhode Island. I'm sure that in California, there's probably 39 cities and towns in a county. Yes. Um, in Rhode Island, 39 cities and towns. Lincoln, Rhode Island actually ranks or has one of the top five um, high schools in the state from an education perspective every single year. So from Pawtucket to Lincoln is a dramatic difference. And this was a big learning opportunity for me. Um, my tenants in Pawtucket are good, but my tenants in Lincoln, it's like so quiet, it's kind of scary now that it's stable. It's been stable for a couple of years. Um, so this building, um, it's a four unit property. Three of the four units at time of my walkthrough were occupied, not with great tenants, and they were well below market rents. The last unit was gutted to the sheetrock. So there was no kitchen, there was no toilet. Um, but the walls were somewhat intact. The third floor of this property, so this is kind of like a fun fact about Rhode Island, but back in the old days, this house was built in 1880. So most of the multifamily inventory in Rhode Island was built during the Industrial Revolution. Um, you had like Slater Cotton Mill and Pawtucket and things like that. Um, but these older buildings that were built in late 1800s, early 1900s, if you were wealthy, you lived close to town to show off your wealth because you didn't have to take that horse and buggy and drive it through. Or the people coming in, they would, it was kind of like you showcasing what you had if you were close to the downtown area. So this house had servants' quarters on the third floor. Um, it was actually eight bedrooms. So at the time of my initial walkthrough, the side that we did the townhouse conversion on, it was gutted to the studs, but they had already run the rough plumbing and they put in a tub surround. So that's actually like a really big pickup for anyone who knows how expensive plumbers can be. Yeah. Um, and I always joke with my dad that I would have been a millionaire way sooner if I had to become a plumber first. Um, <laughs> so funny, funny aside there. Um, but essentially I saw a huge opportunity in the sense of, with one of those units got into the sheetrock and above it got into the studs, like that was a two or three K opportunity to turn into a townhouse style unit. Mm. So at purchase, the three one bedrooms in that building were rented for $500 per unit. Legitimately went through, refinished the hardwoods at $1.75 a square foot, uh, painted all the walls myself and installed the new bathroom vanity and got the rents up to $800 per unit. So nice. fairly inexpensive. I would say that, um, that payback, initial payback period was about one year. And then after that, we're, we're now generating that return based off what we spent to get it up and running. Nice. The unit that we finished the townhouse conversion, we now rent for $1,350 per month. So it is wow. only a two bedroom. We wanted a three bedroom, one and a half bath, but fire code didn't allow us to get there. Um, but the two or three K loan allowed us to accomplish that with taking very little dollars out of our own pocket. Um, and the, the big thing there is even if you buy a single family that you want to rehab to make it more comfortable for your family with that 203K product, I think that this is still the case. But you can improve it up to 105% of that after repair value. So you can actually go a little bit above and beyond the full value of the property. So you can really make sure that you accomplish the project the way that you want. 
Wow. Super interesting. Yeah. I have not seen that kind of opportunity. We don't have too many buildings with um, servants quarters that are a hundred and almost 50 years old. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Whole different housing stock we have here. (laughs) Yeah. Just very, very different opportunity where we are, where we're at. Like for me, an old house is something built in the 50s or 60s here. <laughs> so that, that would be amazing out here. <laughs> yeah, it's very different. So tell us about the time you almost walked away from a deal for $1,000. Yeah, so that was my first deal. Okay. Um, we went through the home inspection and everything was kind of, and here's the, actually, so now that I'm reflecting on this, this was like crazy. So went through the whole housing inspection. They were going to take care of the fire coating. Fire coating is, I would say, a hot topic for real estate investors to begin with. But Rhode Island had a, um, there was a nightclub fire a while back. So it was Mm. like really important for Rhode Island investors because the fire departments really pay close attention to this stuff, particularly when you get uh, four units and above. So that was the first big one. And then the home inspector said, hey, look at this line in. It's like, it's really frayed. You need to replace it. And uh, I was really hung up on that frayed uh, electrical line in, which legitimately cost $1,000. And I put up this huge stink, even though I was stealing a property and I didn't know that I was at that time. Um, but I was also partially frustrated with the short sale process. So my first property it took seven months to close mm-hmm. because we had, the short sale you have to approve with the sellers up front and then you have to get it approved by the bank. So you want to have that short sale negotiator in place. So I think this was one of two things. One, a lack of education that I didn't fully understand that it was only $1,000 to fix an electrical line in on like a very good opportunity. And then two, just frustrated with how long the short sale process took. Um, So the two realtors got together and they actually took $500 each out of their commission to cut me a check of $1,000 at closing. Oh, you got lucky. (laughs) I am so thankful over that. But I think they're also frustrated with how long the process took. And they're like, listen, we're not going to, put this back on the market and lose our commission after seven months of trying to battle the bank to get the number approved. Um, fortunate that I did kind of dig my heels in on that one though, because two months into owning the property during the middle of a snowstorm, I thought I had a heating issue, but it was actually an electrical issue um, wow. where I had to replace the entire electrical system because one of the panels was arcing. So another kind of like rehab golden nugget here. Um, I don't know if this is true on the West coast, but I'm at least, Southeast of New England, I've seen these electrical panel panels. They're called Federal Pacifics. And yes. electricians joke that they're fire starters, but I had a Federal Pacific and it was arcing. And I am so lucky my first four unit didn't burn down. Um, so that $1,000 helped the $7,000 project to upgrade the rest of the electrical panels. Wow. We have those same panels here. And when the inspectors come across, they're like, oh my gosh, it's a Federal Pacific. But um I don't know. I didn't know that they really actually had problems like that. But yeah, some people freak out about it and others don't. But that's really good advice to be aware of what you're The what electrician you're <laughs> opened up the panel and he pulled it off and he said, he's like, see that how red it is? He's like, that means it's about to light on fire. <laughs> oh, like, oh, my God. <laughs> We've never seen one like that. Yeah, we've never seen them when they're going. Wow. Good, yeah. good advice. Well, you've been awesome, Jimmy. Appreciate all of your time. Can you tell listeners who are interested in learning more about you and your awesome stories where they can find out more about you? Absolutely. So I've been fortunate this year to, to launch my own podcast called The Cashflow Kings. And we post daily advice on our Instagram page. And the handle is The Cashflow Kings. So that would be the best way to um, 
keep up with my crazy stories and uh, learn a little bit more on a daily basis. Okay. Instagram. And then um, your podcast is called the Cashflow King. So people can find that wherever they're uh, checking out podcasts. And what's your website? Yep. So the website for my property management business is lion, L-Y-O-N, propertygroup.com. Perfect. Well, thank you. Appreciate all your great advice and stories. You're awesome. And uh, what would be your final parting words of advice for people that want to jump into the real estate investing world? One of the first podcasts I listened to via Bigger Pockets, there was a gentleman who was on, and I can't remember his name, but he relayed that massive action will drive massive results. Mm -hmm. So my advice would be get out there, take a ton of action. Failing is part of the game. As long as you learn, you're going to be okay. Just keep taking action. Well said. So get out there, listeners, and take some action. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.